Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017, and as a family, we seek to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. This podcast will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our community. We hope you'll subscribe. Scripture reading this morning is Deuteronomy 4, verses 5 through 8. See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today? Amen. Amen. Okay. Thank you, Heather. All right. Well, good morning again, and welcome to Redeemer Lincoln Square. I know a lot's been going on. We have a lot happening today. Uh, thank you for bearing with us. We've been doing a series on the vision of our church, and every week I've been telling everybody, I've been saying, it's not boring. And I've been saying every week, some of you might be saying, Michael, why do you keep saying it's not boring? You seem to be the one that has the problem here, and okay, I need to confess with you. The reason why I keep saying that is because a lot of times when I hear people talk about vision, it's boring, it's unrealistic, it's uh, overly idealistic, and I really don't want that for us. The reason why we're doing this is so that we can take every single one of the words in our vision and we can be laser focused and super clear about how this is operating in our life as a church, to be super practical and concrete. And so if you're not a Christian here this morning, or if you're not sure if you're a Christian, what we hope is that you'll see what we do and why we do it, and perhaps you might be surprised that even through your doubts and disagreements, that you, there might be things that you can partner with us on, that you might be surprised what we actually are about. Now, if you are a Christian here this morning, the goal here is we're doing the series to know who we are. It's the guide to do that. Because our vision, and we say it every week, it's to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. Now, today we're going to look at the word together, which a lot of people go, well, we know what that means. It means community. And it's at least that, but it's not about just being sort of kumbaya, let's all come together, let's all huddle together to do this. No, we need to know what are we doing together and why are we doing it together? And then how do we evaluate what it looks like when we do stuff together? Because if we look at sort of the American concept of of community right now, if we look at how America has done the track record for community, it's actually not good. You can go back 20 years ago to Robert Putman, Putnam's seminal work, Bowling Alone, and what he was doing in that book is he, he was cataloging and showing how in America community was dissolving. That what he, he called it social capital. It was decreasing in group activities. It was decreasing <coughs> in so, social group. Um, was decreasing as well. That was not me. That was Bruce. He's somewhere in the room. <laughs> we can turn off the mic. That was awkward, right? Yeah. I'm a ventriloquist. Um, 
in Robert Putnam's seminal work 20 years ago, Bowling on Right, social capital going down, social groups going down. And what he actually talks about is suburbs are part of the problem, that in suburbs, the isolation was actually increasing, the way we formed them, and that cities might be part of the solution. And yet, 20 years later, we still have sort of the same problems. Depression has increased across every single one of our generations. Uh, suicide has gone up 33% from 2000, sorry, from 1999 to 2019. It's up 33%. The percentage of Americans who say they have no close friendships, this is a crazy stat. The percentage of people who say there's no friendship, they have no friendships has quadrupled since 1990. That close to half of Americans, 45% roughly in this room, out in America, say that sometimes or always no one knows them well. And that was in 2018. That was before the pandemic. And so our track record's not good. Somehow, I think if we ask the average person on the street, is community good? People will say, of course it is. But the problem is, you, we don't do it well, and you can't just desire community for community's sake. You can't do that. C.S. Lewis has the best quote on this. I have to read it. He says this. He says, the very condition of having friends is that we should want something besides friendship, or else there would be nothing for the friendship to be about, and friendship must be about something. There, those who have nothing can share nothing, and those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. And when I heard that, it's like, ah, oh, you know, because sometimes I'm like, I just want to be friends, and that's, that's not good enough. And so we need to ask, what are we about? This text gives us three surprising things. One, Obedience is the way of wisdom. Two, obedience is the way of witness. Three, obedience is the way of nearness. So we're going to look at those three things today. Obedience is the way of wisdom, witness, and nearness. So first, obedience is the way of wisdom. And you should be like, wait, wait, wait. I thought we were just talking about community. How, why are you talking about obedience now? What does obedience and community have to do with each other? I'm glad you asked. Look at the text is that it's, what we find here, the context for Deuteronomy 4, is that Israel was never just supposed to be a community unto itself. That the larger purpose of the people of God, if you go back to Genesis 12, Abraham, when he's called out by God, he was told from there that the people of God were supposed to be a blessing to all nations. Now, they've, they were taken to Egypt. They've come out of Egypt, so the exodus has happened. It's been Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Now here we are in Deuteronomy, and Moses is reminding these Israelites here in verse 5. He says, see, I have taught you decrees and laws that the Lord my God has commanded me. See, I've taught you these things, these statutes. Why? Was it so that you could earn God's favor, so that you could, uh, you, know, uh, you know, get in with God? No. They already had God's presence. So why? Well, they're about to enter into the promised land, but why do they need these commands? In verse 6, go to the next verse. He tells you, he says, Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding. Stop right there. In and of itself, he says, the commands are wisdom and understanding. He's saying, you're the people of God. You've been wandering around for 40 years. But the main reason why is so that you could get these statutes and these laws and these commands into your life. I think a lot of times we, you know, we wander around ourselves and the fact that what Moses is saying here is your existence isn't so you make a bunch of money so that you can have a comfortable life. No, maybe your existence 
the hardships of your life, the wandering in your life, is so that you will get the wisdom of God. That they are good in and of themselves. And that means we as a church, Redeemer Lincoln Square, we are not here just to be a community center. That word together is not supposed to function of like, I don't have friends, I want to have friends, let's just be friends together. Remember what Lewis said, that doesn't work. That, that means the reason why we exist at some level is to get the wisdom and understanding found in the decrees and the commands into our hearts. By the way, Sophie, who was just up here to, to do membership, that's what she was proclaiming. Those were the vows. That's what was, that was what was being stated. It said, I'm going to try to live out. I think, it was the third, I think it was the third vow that I will now endeavor to live as a follower of Christ. What does that mean to endeavor? It's these commands. It's these decrees. Because the goal is to be wise. Now, sadly, I believe most of us and most of the world looks at God's wisdom, the wisdom found in the, in the text in the Bible, and says, eh, what the, what's going on there? Either they don't see, we don't see how this wisdom applies to us, or we know how it applies and we don't want it to apply to us because we, we're holding some other wisdom. So before we move on, let's pause, let's reflect. What wisdom are you living out right now? What wisdom are you following? Whose wisdom are you using? Uh, Gerhard von Rod defines wisdom perfectly. He says this, it's the process by which we become competent in regards to the realities of life. So, people use that word wisdom all theoretically. The practical application or statement of what wisdom is, it is the, the, the process by which we become competent in regards to the realities of life, how the world works, what it actually is. And so Moses would say, well, hey, if God made the world, then wisdom is coming in line with the one who made the world. Wisdom is just the application of truth into situations that don't necessarily have clear directives. That's what I, I tell people. People go, what's wisdom? Wisdom is just, it's the application of truth in situations that aren't readily apparent. But the, still you have to ask, whose wisdom are you using? If you're not a Christian here today, it's important to know that everyone no matter who you are, you have a matrix by which you view, a lens by which you view all of life, that you assess life, and then you apply how to live to it. So one of the wisdom statements I hear a lot in New York is this. They say, hey, there is no overarching truth. There's just your truth. Live your truth. Of course, the problem with that, that we're seeing, that we're watching in real time, is what happens when your truth and their truth disagree? What happens, what happens when that happens? It's happening all the time. And so when people go, well, okay, fine. You can't just live your truth. Live your truth as long as it does no harm to other people. That's actually kind of the morality we have today. Live your truth as long as it doesn't harm anybody else. <laughs> that just pushes the problem down. Whose definition of harm are you working on? What happens if my definition of harm isn't your definition of harm? Hey, I'm living my truth. It doesn't harm anybody. Actually, it is. Who gets to win? What happens when the world's wisdom isn't actually enough? I know what's funny is that we look at the wisdom of people 100 years ago. We kind of laugh at them, don't we? You know, it's people 100 years ago looked at people 100 years before them and kind of laughed at them and said, well, we know better now. But if that's the case, then what we think is wise today, 100 years, years in the future, they're going to look at us, 
how we're doing things are going to say, oh, man, those people are aggressive, those people are oppressive, those people, no. That's what happens when, you, when you're holding on to something that's ever-changing. I'm not so sure the world's wisdom is the best wisdom to use. Now, Christians would say this. They would say that the law of God is the two great commands that summarize all the other commands. What is that? Love the Lord your God with all your strength, heart, mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so wisdom is applying those two statements to all of life. Let me give you an example of that. Marriage. What's the world's, what is the, you know, the New York definition of marriage? Essentially, if you want to get an essence, marriage is a way of enhancing my own personal fulfillment. That you should be in marriage as long as it makes you happy. And hopefully, ideally, it makes somebody else happy, too. That's the idea of how you do marriage. And so marriage is an exchange. So what's going to make you happy? You want, the world mostly says this. Find somebody who's either smoking hot or super rich, and ideally both. Because at least that somebody who's very attractive, well, that's going to be good for you. And if they're not attractive, well, at least they have money. Or maybe, hopefully, they have both. And then you'll have a happy life. But, of course, what's the problem with that? That's a consumer-vendor relationship. You're in it as long as you're getting something out of it. It's like a meat market. You go there and you say, I like that pound of flesh. That looks kind of good. And they're saying, and you know what's happening? They're doing the same thing back to you. It's, not, it's, it's both ways. But that's, that's judging people based on their resume. That's judging people based on their product, not their character. It's on their assets and not on how they assess life. And I, by the way, I, I think Christians, they, we actually use this same kind of wisdom when we come to our marriages too, which is why the divorce rates of Christians is very similar to the divorce rates of everybody else. What if we didn't go into a room and, this, and the minute we get in there, we start assessing, not you, not you, not you, not you, definitely not you. I've actually applied, this isn't just about marriage. I've asked myself recently, how many friendships have I missed out on because I've assessed people wrongfully? I'm like, nope, definitely not, I don't want that person. What if we didn't do that? Because if you're only in it for what you get out of it, you're not going to be in it for long. Let me give you the contrast. Biblical wisdom to this, you know what it is? Biblical love defines commitment not about your happiness, but about their happiness, which ironically is like the 180. It's completely flipped. And the reason why it defines it that way is because Christianity, when it regards sex and marriage and relationships, it models it founded on Jesus' love. What was Jesus' love? I don't love you because of what you bring. I love you because I love you. So therefore, how dare we Base people, love people based on their attraction when he doesn't base his love on our attraction. How, how, you're not loved because of your assets. How dare you love other people based on their assets? No, he loved you because he loved you because he loved you. And if that's our moral framework, if that's our wisdom, that's going to change our logic about how we pick spouses. That's going to change our logic about how we pick our friends. It's going to change our logic about how we live our life. And that's just one issue, one little issue. So living in light of the law of God is the way of wisdom. Yeah, I know we don't really think that actively. I think we think, well, you know, the world's wisdom is better. It's not. Because if God is God, if he's real, then of course his wisdom is going to be better than anything else out there. And we're not doing it in order to be blessed. We're already blessed. 
We're not doing it to, because Christianity is about moralism. It's not be good and then get God. You already have that. And so I was about to move on. Here's the question I want you to ask. If you don't see this wisdom, you should be asking, then why don't we follow it? What, else, what other wisdom are we using? And if you call yourself a Christian and you do see the wisdom, but you just don't want to use it, what wisdom are you actually using and why? And is it going to be enough? At LSQ, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service each week. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastor and church leaders. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq or join us for worship on Sunday. You can find out more details on our website by visiting lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash worship. Now, let's get back to this week's episode. All right, number two. Obedience is not just the way of wisdom, it's the way of witness. I don't know if you know this, but I was doing some, I was doing some, um, some research on this. Did you know that the happiest people in the world aren't, don't actually focus on their happiness? Researchers are, are finding out that the happiest people tend to be people who get their happiness in the happiness of others. So the application for this church then would be the joy of community doesn't come because we we're all here and we're in community. It, Redeemer LSQ will get community to the degree that it's a byproduct of living out life in community upon this wisdom. And that's great. But what Moses is saying, he goes on, if you go and look back at our text, that's great, that's the way of wisdom, but it's not just for us. Look at our text. If you look at our text in verse 6, it says that we should do this, observe them carefully for, the, for, his will, for this will shows your wisdom and understanding. It's, good, it's a good in and of itself, but then he says it's to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is wise is a wise and understanding people. Now that's interesting. Yes, it's a good in of itself. You should do it because it's beautiful, because it pleases the Lord, and I am pleased to do as he pleases, sure. But the second thing that, that Moses says here, it's also supposed to be a witness to others so that they'll see that this is wise and good. So the way we live out our lives then is actually not just for ourselves, but a way to love our neighbors. So let me try to be careful, really careful. Don't hear what I'm not saying. <laughs> uh, um, this is not for show. This is not a performance. I grew up in New York. Sophie grew up in New York as well. The New Yorkers, we can smell fakeness a mile away. No, what Moses is doing is being very blunt. He's saying the only thing that's going to give credibility to what we believe is actually how we live it out. That the only the idea that God is who he says he is, the idea that we should follow him, the idea that he has something to actually say in our lives, that he's right and good, the only way that will become real to people is the way that we live with and for others. So, in other words, telling the truth is nice, is nice living that truth is better. Francis of Assisi says this, he says, it's, not, it's no use walking anywhere to preach unless our walking is also our preaching. 
In other words, what, what, if, what if people didn't just hear our words, but they saw with their eyes what this community could do? There's so much potential. There's so much possibility to how, how we live out sacrificially inside towards each other, but also outside. And, or, or put it in the negative, why in the world would anybody listen to us if it doesn't seem to manifest itself in any kind of action? Let me try to give you an example of this. I don't even remember the... Um, this was in the papers 15 years ago. There was the, the West Nile Mines Amish School shooting. And what happened 15 years ago is, I think it was the milk driver walked into a, a single-room Amish school. There was 10 girls there. He killed five of them and then, and then killed himself. It was, it was tr- horrific. It was terrible. And the survivors, there was five survivors, they came out and they reported that one of the girls sacrificed herself. That she said, take me, not them, and, and then he did so. And even more profound, while this community was suffering, while they were mourning, there was a burial service for the murderer. And the Amish showed up in droves. And they went to the widow. And they comforted her. And they loved her, and they forgave him. And they actually even took up a collection plate for the widow and for his children who were left behind. And all the articles were just like, how could they do this? What, what it, was, it was a profound mystery that in the midst of their suffering, they could still serve. And you have to ask, were they performing? Were they like, hey, we better do this because everybody's watching? No. They lived out their wisdom as a sign to the world. A couple weeks ago, we restarted Q&R, question response, where you can text in questions right now and we'll deal with them after the service. But that first week we started up, I brought up that Christianity is the only world religion that actually is no longer mainly centered in its place of origin, that it's spread everywhere else. And somebody rightly texted and said, well, maybe Christianity is only spread because of colonialization. Maybe it's only whenever other places because of oppression and colonization. And I really do believe that we as Christians, we have to wrestle with our fraught history. There's been crusades. There's been uh, forced conversions. There's been Christians not living in light of what we say we believe. And yet, we still also have to wrestle with Rodney Stark's book, The Rise of Christianity, or uh, Tom Holland's book, Dominion, where they detail very explicitly that Christianity took off not when they used the sword, that's when they were vying with, all the, with other faiths and, st- and traditions. No, it took off when they put the sword away and they started to serve. When Christians went into the cities with the pandemic. When everybody else was fleeing the cities because of the pandemic. When Christians fed the poor, sorry, fed the hungry and cared for the poor. And not just their own, but others. That, it was when they turned the other cheek. Every one of these things that was in their code of life, that is when they were known by the nations as a wise and understanding people. People wonder, like, how did Christendom show up? Why did it show up? Why did it win at one point? Because at some level, people said, that explains the reality of the world better than anything else. And it took off like wildfire. Lame Sane, he's the late African professor at Yale, wrote a book called Whose Christianity, sorry, Whose Religion is Christianity? And he makes the argument, secularism, the idea that there is no supernatural. He's actually said, 
That did more injury. That, that, that is a colonizing thought, secularism, in Africa, and it told Africans that there is no supernatural, that there is no um, spirit world, and so witch doctors and, and, and the, the way of life in Africa was actually demeaned. But he actually says Christianity showed up into Africa, and it incarnated because Christ incarnated. He came near. It, he didn't come by the sword, but by service. And Christianity made Africa better Africans. And that's what, that, that, that was a profound thought. That, that, that means every thought is actually colonizing. Every thought wants to win and take over and reside in your heart. And so the question is, is okay, if there's wisdom out there, what wisdom are we witnessing with? Because we're all witnessing whether you know it or not. When you don't witness, that's actually a witness to the world, right? When you, when you hold things in. Because our life is on display. Everybody's life is a platform. Everybody's life is being viewed by the world. And will the world see Christians not just talking, not just, you know, mimicking, but acting out the grace that we received for care and love and service? That happens in, with words and deeds. Because I promise you that that is when folks will consider. That is when change will actually happen. I could be a talking parrot up here all day. Won't matter at all unless we move out. I met a man uh, earlier this year, and he came to me and he said this. He said, Michael, I've been really, really considering this idea of sheer grace. I'm actually accepted by God by sheer grace. It's not my, by merit. It's not what I've done. It's not by my accomplishments. He loves me purely because of what he's done for me. And he says, if that's really true, Mike, that changes everything. It changes how I operate with other people. It changes how I assess and, you know, relationships and, and, and how I spend my money and what I do with my life. What if we as Redeemer Lincoln Square had that same internal conversation where we're not just about growing our size or just, you know, having more programs and more activities for us to do, but we're in the business of living as a witness in word and deed. What are we witnessing with? And is it out there? All right, last point. Obedience is the way of wisdom. Witness, obedience is the way of witness, but last point, it's the way of nearness. Look at Moses Again, how does he think this wisdom is going to get out in the world? He's, there's competing wisdom, wisdoms. Look at verse 7. In verse 7, he says, What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? That is profound. He, he says, hey, you want to know what's going to work? What other wisdom out there, what other tradition has the Lord their God so near to them whenever we call upon him? Moses is saying, you want to know how you compare? The difference is our God is near. And he probably went to his experiences. He remembers God physically leading his people with the pillar of cloud or physically leading his people with the pillar of fire and how near he was. Or his own personal experience, the burning bush. He's like, well, God is present. He's here with me. That's how we know that we can move out in the world with wisdom. It's how close God is. And yet, here's the thing for us. On this side of the cross, we know he got closer. That God got closer 
Because he, he didn't just stay up in his heaven. He didn't just stay away from us. He actually came near to us. What did it take for him to get near to us? He didn't just come in some sort of, you know, non-physical experience. He actually became man, incarnated, flesh and blood, so that he could be both holy and gracious at the same time. Holy because there's a penalty for sin. There is real brokenness. You can't, we cannot just gloss over that. There has to be some sort of justice that will pay for the brokenness of the world that you and I cause. And what we find is the graciousness in Christ is that he's the one who pays it. Holiness and graciousness slam together. He has come near to us. And so the last thing I want to ask you is, will you come near to him? Will you get close to him? Redeemer LSQ, we are tr doing this together. We're urging each other on. And I think the tendency for all communities is to only focus on ourselves. But the church is called to more, to empower us to be out in the world, not to be static, but to be active through our words, through our life. What are you spending your time on, friends? What are we, who are we befriending? What are we doing? Because that's what we see here. Last thing to say before we end, I want to talk about a scene in a, in a TV series I've been watching recently. The first season of Ted Lasso, there's a scene where there's a washed-up soccer player. And he knows, his, he knows his, uh, his, his days are over. He's too slow. He's too old. And he's asking his friend and saying, well, what am I? I've always, always been a soccer player. That, that's my identity. Who am I if I don't have soccer? And his friend calls over his six-year-old niece and says, Oi, I wish I could talk that way. Oi, who do you say your uncle is? And she says a couple things. She says, well, his beard's scratchy. He's really funny, and I love him. And when, that, when she said that, I, I just, I kind of lost it. Because in that moment, in her innocence, she gives us everything we actually really want. Pure acceptance, not for what we did, not for the accomplishments, not for what we've done in the past or what we need to do in the future, but because I love him. That's what we get in the person of Christ. He doesn't say, clean up your act and then I'll die for you. He doesn't say, uh, be good and try hard and then I'll save you. He says, I've already loved and accepted you. Let's now go out on a mission together to love and serve the world. That, he does that to us individually. If we got that collectively, the power to transform, the power to love and serve, the ability to persevere when it's not working out, when things aren't going the way we want it to go, would be profound. To joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would live out this wisdom. There are competing wisdoms out there. We need to acknowledge that every day. We're here maybe an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. But we are challenged by the wisdoms of the world, and we need to ask ourselves, is that going to work? Is that the best way to bring about beauty and truth and love? Sometimes, Father, the wisdom we see in your text, it doesn't make sense to us. I pray that we would do the work to ask and get at and find out why. And so we can live it out. So that we could be a reflection of God's love out in the world. So that we could uh, not, not just be blessed, but so that we can be a blessing to all the world. That was the original call for the people of God. And, I, and over the years, 
we have a checkered history of actually doing it. Help us to repent of those things and then to new life say, you've done this for me, how do I do it for others? You've met us with grace, how do we give grace? We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already. And we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.